Our passage is, there we are, got to turn your mic on. Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. That's page 1082 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, it should be a Red Pew Bible that looks like this. If you want to hunt one of those up and turn to page 1082, we'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, page 1082 in your Red Pew Bibles. Okay, the words of Peter. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ashley. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray. Father, we... Pause and quiet our hearts now as we come to the preaching of your word, remembering, Lord, what you have told us about your word, that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it pierces all the way down to the depths of our hearts and soul. And so, Lord, we would ask in these moments that you would send your Holy Spirit to use your word upon our hearts. So that we would be changed. So that we would have a hope that lifts us in the midst of our suffering. So that we would see Jesus and that we would be changed. Would you come and be our teacher? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So kids, i got a question for you to get us started this morning. Do you ever find it hard to ask for help? Do you ever find yourself saying... I just, I, I don't need any help. I want to do this on my own. Uh, you know, I heard that very statement many times this morning in our house. You know, it's interesting. We come into the world when we're born and we are utterly dependent. Like totally dependent. And pretty early on as we begin to grow and mature, we begin to have this deep sense of independence that grows in us this deep sense that I can do it on my own 
I don't need any help. Back up. I know what I'm doing. I know the right answers. I mean, even whenever you're young. And the bad news is, is that you grow up and all of that gets even worse as adults, right? It is so hard to receive help, is it not? You know, we were doing the service project and for weeks before the service project, we were trying to find folks in the community that we could help. But we wanted to have their permission first. We didn't want to just show up and help people. And it was so interesting, you know, in, in the whole community, it, almost no one was willing to allow us to come and serve them. And I, I don't say that in an accusing way. I don't know that I would be all that different. But, you know, we find ourselves in the independent state of Dade. That's what we call this community here. Because we're going to do it on our own. And we are self-reliant. And we don't need anybody else. Man. That spirit runs so deep in the human heart. There is a deep-seated self-reliance that grows in our hearts. And that self-reliance is what the Bible would call pride. Uh, a sense of, I don't need anyone. I can make life work on my own. And it lives in each of our hearts. And a part of what pride does in our life is it isolates us from other people. It isolates us from community. And it isolates us from God. So what we're going to see this morning is that, as, uh, is that we experience growth and flourishing in the midst of our suffering when we choose the way of humility, surrendering ourselves to God and others. Now that's a big kind of summarizing statement, but I'll read it, read it again, especially for our note takers here. We experience growth and flourishing in the face of our suffering part of what Peter's been talking about throughout this whole book of 1 Peter. Only when we choose to respond with the way of humility, surrendering ourselves to God and others. So let's jump into the passage here, and today we are actually finishing the book of 1 Peter. All fall, we have been walking through this book, and in one word, what would you say the book of 1 Peter is about? What? Suffering, yes, living as exiles is the name of the title, but one of the, the most vivid reality of living as exiles is suffering. I mean, literally, like every week we're talking about suffering, and so Peter, throughout the book, is wanting us to see all that God is up to in our lives through suffering, through affliction, whether it be, as we saw last week, specifically the suffering that we endure because we are Christians, persecution. Uh, being uh, mistreated, being uh, excluded from certain things that was very prominent in the early church. Everything from that kind of suffering all the way down to the everyday afflictions and hardships and struggles that we walk through because we live in a broken world, because we live in a world that, is, as Peter would remind us, is not our home. So Peter is talking about all of that and helping us to understand all that God is up to through our suffering. Now, here's one of the interesting things that I want to talk about here is that, you know, there can be a way of thinking, okay, yeah, so it's through suffering that we grow, it's through hardship that we grow, but there can be a way of thinking that that just happens automatically. I think of the cliche that you might 
hear a lot whenever you're walking through something. You know, when you're, when you're going through something hard, man, get ready. People with really good intentions are going to hit you with all kinds of cliches, right? And one of those is this. Whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Right? Have you ever heard that one? It's right next to bless their heart, right? It doesn't feel good. But behind that statement is, I think, one piece of this truth that, yes, affliction and hardship in our life has the possibility of changing us and deepening us. But here's what I want to stress today. It does not do that automatically. In fact, what only kills you makes you stronger. Well, only if you respond to it in the right way. And that's what Peter's wanting to talk to us about. How do we respond to the affliction in our life? You know, all of us are walking through things right now. Some of us in this room are walking through some of the most challenging seasons of our life. Some of us are walking with the wounds of an incredibly painful season in our past. You know, the reality of suffering is the reality of living in this world. But the, what Peter wants us to see is that how we respond to it means everything. How have you stewarded your pain? How, where are you running in the face of your pain right now? And the reality is there is two fundamental ways to deal with our pain. One is to, in our own resources, seek to manage life and hold it together. But there's an alternative Peter wants to call us to. And that's what we'll see in our passage. So here is the key, according to Peter. The key to responding to suffering in a way that brings about flourishing. Here is the silver bullet. Here is the thing that makes all the difference in your life for how you respond to hard things. Are you ready? It is one word. Humility. It's humility. And humility, this, this idea and theme of humility, saturates the entire passage that we're looking at. You know, whenever I first was studying this passage at the beginning of the week, and I, I'm looking at it here, and, and I see at the very middle... The very centerpiece of the passage here, he's talking about humility. But I, I looked at it and I said, oh, how do all these pieces fit together? Because at the beginning, he's talking about elders and shepherds of the church, those who are called to care for God's flock. And then he talks about how the congregation is to respond to their shepherding. And then he talks about this humility in our relationship with God. And then he talks about the devil. And I thought... Do these fit together? Peter, you just kind of, you know, you're at the end of your book, like throw it all in there, you know, squeeze it all in. And as I studied, I began to see, oh no, they're all interconnected. And what ties them together is the concept of humility. And that's what we'll see as we walk through this. So first thing to see here is that Peter calls us into the humility of community. You know, when you are walking through suffering in life, when you are uh, enduring affliction in your life, one of the, the deepest, uh, easiest responses in our life is to run to our own resources, self-reliance. And what the Bible would call that is pride. You know, look at what he says in the actual, the very heart of the passage here, second part of verse 5, where he says this, God opposes the proud 
but shows favor to the humble. So Peter is saying there are two basic fundamental ways to live life. The way of pride or the way of humility. He's actually quoting Proverbs 3. That verse is actually quoted a number of times in Scripture. To help us to understand the most fundamental thing about relating to God. You see, what is a proud heart? Proud, you know, whenever we hear that word, we might think, you know, this is someone who's looking down their nose at everyone else. And it can certainly include that. But in essence, pride is self-reliance. It is this deep-seated belief that I am an independent person. I can make life work on my own. I do not need people. And we can actually be deeply prideful in our religion, in our Christianity. I mean, look at the Pharisees. This was the essence of their barrier to God. They were incredibly religious. If you looked at their life, I mean, everyone around them would look at them and say, man, those are the closest people to God because look at how devoted they are. Look look at their lives and how pristine their lives are. And yet Jesus brought his most fierce opposition to them and said, you are the furthest from God because of your self-righteousness. You see, it was pride. It was a deep-seated self-reliance that they could make themselves right with God based on their own resources, based on their own strength. And what Peter wants us to see here is that pride is a position of opposition to God. It's, It's a fallacy that we are independent. We are utterly dependent. That's what it means to be a creature. We are dependent upon God for our breath right now. And so to live in a way that believes that we're self-reliant, that we can manage life on our own, is to walk in the way of pride and to find yourself at odds with God. But yet the way of humility is the way to God. Humility is essentially in essence saying, I cannot make life work on my own. I do not have all that it takes to thrive in life. I am dependent upon God and I am dependent upon other people. That is humility. And Peter says, that is the posture that God lavishes his favor on. So we see the first thing that that plays out is in community. So he he talks about uh, the calling of elders here. And then he talks about, in verse 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. It's a beautiful picture of how God has designed the body of Christ. That he has called elders, appointed them over his church, that they would be shepherds. Look again at what he says here. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Amazing. Peter speaking to us and saying, hey, I'm an elder too. I'm a, to be an elder means essentially to be a shepherd. And here's what he calls us to. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And then in verse 5, he says, in the same way you who are younger, and here is a way of him summarizing everyone who is under the care of those elders, submit yourselves to your elders. So he's calling us into this ministry of the body of Christ. It's the humility of understanding, wait, I need shepherding. I need people in my life who are going to care for me. I need people who are speaking into my life, who are 
uh, watching over me, who are teaching me and caring for me and encouraging me. We need the body of Christ. But the only way that you're going to be open to that is from a place of humility. Look at what he says. Uh, second part of verse 5. All of you, meaning elders and congregation, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. That is the heart of community. You cannot have community without humility. Without humble hearts. Because a humble heart again says, I need you in my life. I need you to shepherd me. And for an elder, those who are entrusted to lead, they have got to have humility and say, and I don't have all the answers. And I am just like you in someone in need of shepherding. I need shepherding and authority in my life. I am not an independent person either. He says here, you are to be uh, examples to God's flock. What is the primary way that we walk out an example? It is an example of humility. This posture and spirit of heart that says, I need God. And I need you in my life. <laughs> Those of us who are elders are called to set the tone of humility. And yet... What does it take to be this body and community together? It is humility that we embrace one another. You know, the reality of pride and self-reliance leads to isolation. Because it's independence. It's thinking, I can manage it on my own. So when something hits in our life, what is our natural tendency? To pull back. Pull back from community. I don't want anybody to see I'm struggling, so what do I do? As I step into community, I, I put a mask on. I want to manage my image. I want to act like I have it all together. And that can easily become a, an entire practice in the church. Where you just, when you, when you come together, you come into church on Sunday morning or in any gathering, you just put a mask on. Put that smile on. Put some positivity on top of it. And we're all good. And we're just walking around just managing our image, living in isolation. We don't really know each other. We're not really welcoming one another into our struggles and into our needs. And what Peter wants us to know is that that is the way of pride. It's not the way of flourishing. So, Peter calls us into a humility of community in response to our suffering, but also that we are called to humility in our relationship with God. In fact, it is the very essence of it. Look at what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. You know, so he says humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. What is he referring to there as mighty hand? He's referring to all that he's been talking about in scripture. He's talking about our suffering. He's talking about our affliction. He wants to put all of that in this a category that it is from God. It's very tempting whenever things come into your life, hard things come into your life, that you think somehow that is outside of the good provision of God. That's, I've, I've had many people express this to me before that say, God doesn't bring hard things into your life. God doesn't bring cancer into your life. God doesn't bring... Uh, loss into your life. God doesn't bring all of these struggles into your life. And it's like, what Bible are you reading? That is First Peter. Over and over and over, 
he is telling us, and this is critical to see, it is not random. It is from God. And he brings this into our life for our flourishing. And what Peter wants you to know is that whenever that comes in your life, whatever it is, whatever suffering you're enduring, Peter wants to say, you know how to respond to that? Humble yourself. What does that mean? It means to surrender yourself to God. It means in that place of pain that you open yourself to God, that you let it drive you low before Him, that you let it make you weak before Him. God is magnetically drawn to our weakness. That you open yourself to Him, you surrender your heart, and you say, God, I need you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's come into your life, God, okay, you've brought this into my life, and I just want to open myself to you. I need you. Now, the only way to do that is to be deeply convinced of God's goodness and his heart towards you. You see, Peter wants us to understand that whenever we do this, God will lift us up through it. In fact, in verse 10, he reminds us of the goodness of God for us. Look at what he says in verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm, and steadfast. So he wants us to remember that whenever this stuff hits, this is from the God of all grace. This is from the one who has called me into glory. And God's intention through the suffering in our life is to bring us into glory. It is to lift us up. Do you know that's God's purposes for your life? That is crucial to understand because when hard stuff happens, what is the easiest thing in the world to believe? God's abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. Can I really trust God to to make my life whole? Can I really trust him for that? And Peter says, yes, he's the God of all grace. He has called you to eternal glory. Glory is his goal for your life. But here's what Peter needs us to understand. You cannot experience glory without suffering. You cannot experience resurrection without dying. You cannot experience growth without surrender. In fact, that is his pattern. When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. Now, we often get that pattern the exact backwards way. We try to lift ourselves up, and we end up getting humbled, right? Self-exaltation, self-inflation. I mean, this is, so, this is the way of pride. So often we try to realize flourishing in our life, in our own strength, apart from God. And what does it end up doing? It ends up falling apart. But Peter's saying, you know... First, it's got to come humility, then exaltation. It's God's way. And so in the midst of pain, when you surrender yourself to him, God's going to lift you up because his goal for your life is glory, is flourishing, is growth. You see, you've got to deeply know that in order to open yourself to what God is doing in your life in the midst of the pain that he brings into our life. Peter wants us to see when we humble ourselves in the pain that there is incredible capacity to experience intimacy 
with God. Look at what he says in verse uh, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, when we humble ourselves before God in the midst of the pain, there is an experience of intimacy with God that you cannot know in another way. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, anxiety, that's something that we probably know a lot about in our culture. One of the most anxious cultures of all of human history. Why is that? Because we are in pride trying to make life work on our own. Anxiety is all about control. It's all about self-reliance. It's all about, like, i got to hold everything together because it's all up to me. But when you humble yourself before God and say, you know what? That's so far above my pay grade. I can't hold everything together. In fact, I'm, I'm falling apart. And I need you. And, oh, guess what? You care for me. So I'm going to bring all my anxiety upon you. I'm not going to hold it. I'm going to bring it to you. Because you care for me. So Peter here is calling us to respond to our suffering. Through opening our life in humility to community. And in humbling ourselves before the Lord. That we would experience intimacy with him. So what about the devil piece here? Right? Where does that fit in? Look at what he says in verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Now whenever you see that in scripture. It's always saying that because there is a danger of deception. You know, if, you, if somebody says to you, hey, you need to be alert. You need to be ready. When would you say that to someone? When there is great danger of missing it, of not seeing it right, of being deceived. And when we talk about Satan's attack in our life, it is all about deception. He's the father of lies. So Peter says, you got to be aware of this. you got to be aware you've got an enemy. I think oftentimes we live as if there's no enemy. There is an enemy. Scripture is very clear that Satan is hunting us in our life. Hunting us. That's the image that he gives us here. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I was meditating on that image. That's what he wants us to do. He gives us that image that it will grab us. You know what it made me think of? Discovery Channel. You ever seen these shows, you know? It's like, you know, wild Africa or something. And you see the picture of a herd. And there's these lions that are kind of prowling around on the outskirts of the herd. And what are they doing? They don't just charge right in, because if they just charge right in, what's going to happen? You've watched these, right? Hopefully. It'll just scatter, and they don't end up with anything. So what do they do? They wait. They prowl. They watch. And what are they watching for? Isolation. Every time. They are looking for a member of the herd that gets isolated. And it's usually one that's not paying attention, right? Right? So they're kind of grazing, you know, they're enjoying the green grass. And before you know it, they've kind of wandered away from the herd. That is the place of danger. And that is the time that the lions pounce. They're looking for isolation and they're looking for injury. If they see an injured member of the herd, that's who they're going after. Do you see what Peter's saying here? Man, you got to be alert. Because when in pride you become isolated, 
or whenever you are walking through suffering in your life, these are the most vulnerable times in your life. Because Satan is looking to devour you. Now, how does he devour us? Not by eating us. That'd be a lot better. By deceiving us. That's what he does. His name means liar. He is the father of lies. And how does he seek to lie to us? Through our pride. I mean, think back at the very beginning in Genesis 3. How did Satan hunt Adam and Eve? I mean, he didn't come in, you know, announcing his presence and everything. He came very subtly to them, and he began to speak lies about God. He began to speak lies about them. He began to lead them to, for the first time, begin to think of themselves apart from God. His whole intention was to get them to be independent. It's to say, can you really trust God? You know, you really need to think about your own well-being here. You need to think about the choices you need to make to protect yourself. Because I'm not sure if you can really trust God for your life. I'm not sure if he is really trustworthy in your life. That's how he haunts us. And when's he coming? When we're isolated and when we're hurting. The very times that Peter says, those are the times you need community more than ever. And those are the times where you've got to humble yourself before God. You see that warning? The warning is against pride and self-reliance. See, when we move into that place of pride, we do move to isolation. We do want to pull away. We do think we can make life work on our own. We go to indulgence. You know, indulgence is a way... Of meeting your own needs apart from God. I know a lot about indulgence. That's where I often go. When something hits in my life, that's where I go. I want to escape. I want to comfort myself. Instead of going to God, the place where I would really find comfort, I want to do it on my own, and it's pride. Anytime we, begin, we seek to make life work apart from God, that is the place of pride. So, Here's a question as we apply it, and we'll have a few minutes to talk about it. How are you responding to the pain in your life right now? How are you responding to the hard things, the confusing things, the, 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 the scars that you're carrying in your life? What are the lies that you believe? What are the lies you're believing in your life? You know, for me, it's, it's very palpable in this area. When I hit these areas, and I mean, I, don't just think big stuff here. I'm just thinking of this last week. I'm thinking of a kid gets sick and your plans get ruined. I'm thinking of you had expectations of how things were going to work out in a particular situation and it doesn't, and you're disappointed. I'm thinking of everyday realities. And when that happens, Satan comes with this very common lie for me. It's up to you. It's all up to you. God is not reliable. Other people are not reliable. It is up to you. And here's the hard thing about the lives of Satan. They sound like me. They sound like my voice. It sounds really appealing and it sounds really true. What are the lies that he speaks to you in your life? What are the lies that he tells you about God? What are the lies that he tells you about you? 
What are the ways that in pride you make life work apart from God? The ways that you live in isolation. The ways that you run to self-reliance. The ways that you run to indulgence. You know, for some of us, indulgence is like, you know, just, I'm just going to take whatever I want and escape or whatever. But some of, for some of us, indulgence is really, really good-looking, polite things like work. Does anyone indulge with work when you're hurting? <laughs> I see a hand. Probably a lot more hands should be going up. Now, where do we go? How do we make life work apart from God? Now, what would it look like to humble yourself under God's mighty hand right where you are? See, this is the beautiful thing. When you find yourself isolated from the herd, when you find yourself all up in knots of anxiety, when you find yourself having done it your own way and you see that, here's the way back. God, I need you. You don't have to work your way back. You don't have to earn your way back. That's the beautiful thing. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. He will meet you in that place. Come to him and say, God, I want you to have this. I want you to have control over my life. And listen, that's not a one-time thing. Some of us might hear that. They might say, I did that when I was 10 years old. I made that decision. So I haven't had to surrender another day in my life. What? Yeah, you begin that way, but this is an everyday reality. Because pride is an everyday reality. (laughs) For me, self-reliance is an everyday reality for me. So surrender needs to be an everyday reality for me. So let me stop there and just give us a few moments to discuss and interact over this. How does this strike you? Bill's going to get the mic for us. How does this strike you? How does it challenge you? What's happening in you as you think about how we respond to pain in our life, how we steward our sufferings, and how God is at work in all of these things? Test. Um, Hutch, so you said that it's not random, the suffering is not random, and that God brings it into our life. Uh, help me unpack how God could not want us to be in pain. He doesn't want us to suffer from sin, right, and all the effects of fall, whether, you know, whether we inflict it or whether it's natural disaster. <coughs> but then also, I guess also the balancing that he's in control and that you're saying he uses it to humble us. But at the same time, we know that he doesn't delight in our suffering, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of mystery in this. Um, we know that God created us for flourishing. You know, God's uh, intention was not a broken world. It was a flourishing world. But God's ultimate goal is to glorify himself. And the good news for us is that through his goodness to us. That's what most glorifies himself. His, the, being the redeemer, the rescue, all of that. And so all of the brokenness and all the suffering is a part of his glorifying himself through coming to our rescue and lifting us up out of all the pain and brokenness. And the, the cross 
becomes like a lens for understanding how God works in the world. So how does God bring blessing into our life? As we look through the lens of the cross, we see, oh, it's through leading me through hard things that then produces growth and resurrection and glory in my life. It is his way. Uh, I also know it just firsthand in my life. Almost every breakthrough I've had spiritually in my life has come in the midst of pain and suffering. And almost none have taken place through ease and comfort and things going well. And I think a part of the reason of that is because of our brokenness. <laughs> it's because of how deep-seated this pride really is. You know, there's no other way for us to run to God than pain and failure. You know, I don't, my, when, when things are going well, I'm good, don't need God. But when he graciously brings struggle and pain in my life, it wakes me up and gives me this opportunity to run to him. So there is a lot of mystery there. But I just know that over and over and over, that's what the Bible teaches us. That's my experience in life. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, it really struck me when you said that the that Satan's lies about you kind of come in your voice, your own voice often, and I can really relate with that. And I feel like my natural, like my kind of where I go, what I hear most of the time is his lies about me, and that's kind of my go-to vision of who I am is what he's is the lies he's saying. Yeah. So I, you know, to I feel I've struggled to like use God's word to inform what's actually true about me. And I find whenever I'm in that place of just hearing his lies about me, that I, I'm trying to exalt myself as mm. a way to, uh. as a way to um, defend myself, as a way to justify, you know, it's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but, yeah. but ultimately that's taken away that my opportunity to be hum- to be humbled um, cuz i can i feel like i can only be humble when i believe what what god says about me yes you know otherwise i'm just really defensive and i'm like well i got to find righteousness somewhere yes so i've got to kind of defend myself and that that yeah. just, that goes straight towards pride you know yeah. cuz that's saying i'm good enough in in and of my own self and right anyways i just Related to what you said. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Trent, I I feel like almost every moment in our life is a choice to choose the way of pride or the way of humility. The way of self-reliance or the way of God dependence. You know, it's this this fundamental choice. Am I going to trust God here? Am I going to trust his heart? Am I going to trust his goodness? Am I going to trust him for the outcome here? Or am I going to take control and bring about it in myself? And apart from humility, we cannot experience. I mean, it's like God's goodness and love doesn't mean anything to us unless we're humble and open before him. Does that make sense? Like in the place of pride, you can tell me all day about God's love. And I'm like, oh, you know, what's on TV later, you know? 
But when I'm in that place of humility like I need God and I hear about his love, it's precious. So it's all about where's my heart going to be? Is it going to be God-protected or self-protected? And it's just a moment-by-moment kind of choice. Um, I have said this um, a few times, but a few years ago, I think I just, you know, I had I was eight or nine years into being a pastor's wife, but I just really hit bottom of realizing, like, God, I do not trust you. Like, I do not trust you. And I was so surprised by that because I thought I was a really good pastor's wife. That's irrelevant now, but at the time, I thought, I'm a really good pastor's wife. Now, it's like, that's kind of bogus and silly. But at the time, I was kind of doing what Trent is talking about. I was just directing my own way. And um, I thought I was really strong and good Christian who trusted God. Mm -hmm. And anyway, in that moment of honesty, it was the best thing ever because I was able to start really um, walking in humility with God and being far more dependent on Him than I ever have but as I think over the last, these years, I feel like I'm walking in more and more dependence with him. In the last few months, um, when I am suffering and struggling in the suffering to respond the way I want to, I think I'm realizing for most of my life, I've heard um, Satan's voice, the voice of the evil one says, like, look at you again. You, mm. You're screwing up again. You can't get it right. You're not doing it well. And also, or just like, I feel God's displeasure, and I actually go to more isolation. I not only isolate from people, I also isolate from the Lord. But the last few months, as I continue to walk in more humility and more trust, it has been a whole different voice. I feel like the Lord's voice has been far louder than Satan's. His voice still comes, but I think as I practice more trust and humility, the voice of the Lord is more gentle, and I feel like it's like, well, of course, Ashley, like this is, this is, this is why I came. Like, yeah. of course. Like, th- this is the way closer to me. This is the way to sanctification. I'm exposing this and showing you this because I have so much more for you. And more for me, I used to think meant I was like a shinier, better Christian with like more crown- stars in my crown and things like that. But I'm really realizing more for me now just means like a closer, more intimate walk with him. Where it's just like I'm even more needy and like, know him intimacy more like that that is actually the better way not like becoming better at all the things so right um so his voice has I don't know if that makes sense like the voice of the evil one that was like so mean and harsh I think I'm just as I walk and trust more and more I'm hearing God's voice more and more um and that has been really encouraging yeah so yeah thank you for sharing that it's it's just huge to understand what, what Peter reminds us of here. This is the God of all grace. He has called you to eternal glory in Christ. You don't think he's not going to restore you and lift you up? And it really is that understanding his heart versus me building righteousness in my own strength. Um, which is actually, ironically, what Satan wants us to do. Like, he's very active in religion. He, he's perfectly happy for you to be really prideful in your own righteousness. Oh, he would love that. Yes. Hey, yeah, Diane. It, it's important uh, for me to remember that God is good 
all the time. Mm-hmm. And all the time, God is good. Yeah. So whatever comes my way, I have to hang my hat on that. Yeah. Uh, just recently, I saw a movie. Um, I saw it before, but it's called Collateral Beauty. Huh. It's a Hollywood movie with Will Smith starring in it. And he suffered a great loss, the loss of a young daughter. And he's struggling with his business and with himself and finding out ultimately in the movie that um, he's concentrating too much on the damage done yeah. by the hurt and not looking towards the beauty that you can find. Yeah. You know, in the, uh, that uh, God is good all the time. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It, it's... Um I feel like it's what a what a huge fundamental thing is what do I believe about God in this moment? And you know, I keep saying this, but I, I'm sure you can identify with this that in the midst, in the moment of pain, it does not feel like God is good. And the easiest line the world for us to believe in that moment is that He is not. And that is the time where it's most critical that we humble ourselves under his hand and that we believe his grace and his goodness towards us. Gosh, that's where the battle is. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to think through Lydia's question and in my own head and in my own heart. And I mean, um, the world is broken. And continues to be broken. Uh, God has made a way through Jesus uh, for us. um, But he has not yet restored the world. Mm -hmm. It's to come. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, I'm thinking kind of like a parent. If I've got a kid who makes a decision to do something, I always say to my kids, hey, every decision has some kind of result. It's a good result or a bad result. I actually call it a consequence, good or bad. But every decision is based upon that, you know, like deciding to do the right things. And yet I can't reach into my child's life and, well, I can try, but it rarely ever works to reach into my child's life and pull that consequence away. Um, And so, I mean, that's kind of the view of sin and why these things are in our lives. Because we've been saved under the blood of Christ, but yet the world is still broken, and yet mm-hmm. things still come. And um, God is our rescue. Mm-hmm. He's our redeemer, so he reaches in. And so I, I struggle. I love what you said about God is good. God is always good. Um, he is. And he continues to reach into our lives through our, through our troubles. Mm-hmm. And out of that comes real use. Mm-hmm. God uses pain. He never doesn't use pain in our lives and walking in other people's lives. So it's scary. It's hard. Uh, but God is the redeemer. Mm-hmm. And he's made the way. And, but the world is still broken. That's yeah. kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And that's... Um... The, the timing piece is the, the difficult one, this already but not yet, that um, it's, we see God's ultimate intention is uh, restoration, 
consummation. But we're not there yet. And it's hard to live in the in-between. In-betweens are hard. And that's where we are. Yeah. I'll just be quick. Um, thank you for saying the thing about anxiety is us wanting control. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not lessening people's anxiety or I know how anxiety and depression can go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But I've just been so pressed in my heart about how the enemy has used it in kids' lives mm -hmm. and how it's just paralyzing the kids. Like, and when anxiety is made a thing, you know, it's like it's, it has so much power over you when you you take it almost as a hold over you, like, oh, this is who I am, like, my anxiety. When you claim it like that, it's like this automatic, it's almost like you put this, like, cage over you, you know, and you're just, you can't get out. But if instead you say no, instead of my anxiety, like, my Jesus, like, my freedom in my Savior, um, it just, boom, like it just takes the power away. Now, there is power in identifying your sin and in identifying anxiety for what it is. But I think Satan's just really just taken it and ran with it. And it breaks my heart for kids especially because they're young and they're so impressionable. And if we can just move in and like remove, like, no, this anxiety has no power over you. No power. Jesus wiped it out. Like, Jesus is the power. So, anyways. Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> if, if anxiety is trying to control what you, I mean, control is really an illusion. We don't have any control. But, um, but if, if self-reliance is at the heart of our pride, it's like our, our anxiety is like that self-reliance gone bad. You know, it's taking you over. Um, it's very hard. So, yeah, if this brings up stuff that you'd like to talk about, I mean, we'd love to talk about those uh, with, you know, with a friend in the congregation, with an elder, with me, anybody. So this, I figured this one is so much about how we respond, and I think it can be heard in some wrong ways, but if this brings anything up, reach out to community. Open your life to shepherding. So let me close this in prayer. Father, we, we admit that we have not stewarded well the pain that you've brought into our life. For some of us, we have just, in our own strength, just shut our hearts down where we can't feel anything. But I pray, Lord, that you would begin to just soften our hearts and meet each one of us and show us what does it look like to humble ourselves under your good, loving care. Lord, that we might be set free from our self-reliance and pride. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.